Retune, the title of the series of messages that we're doing in the book of Song of Songs, or some people call it the Song of Solomon. And I would contend that this is a statement by God, this book, about the redemption of sex and sexuality and marriage. That in Genesis chapter 3, among other things that we messed up, we messed up those three things. And because of Christ, because of his redemptive work, a healthy relationship is possible in the areas of sex and sexuality and marriage. And we began looking at this book and we said there's 23 love poems, uh, poems, uh, poems, no, poems, I don't think, poems in this uh, series of messages in this book. And it's between Solomon and the Shulamite and some of her friends that occasionally make observations. And likely, this is a guess, but likely this is happening when they're young. And at different points in the book, they're either on the precipice of marriage or newly married. So the first couple of weeks, we talked about attraction. We talked about the idea that it's more important to become the right person than it is even to choose the right person and say, God, would you do that in my life? Choosing's important, but becoming personally uh, is more important. And when we do that, others of like vein, tempt, uh, they're, they're, they kind of are drawn to us and we are drawn to them. Last week we looked at pursuing and we talked about pursuing a potential spouse or if we're already married, which a number of us are, how to continue to pursue our spouse in marriage. And all through the first three talks and certainly today and in the weeks to come, we've talked about sex and sexuality and we're going to do that much more extensively today. In particular talking about lovemaking and the title of the message today is God Honoring Sex. If we were honest about this, you can't really turn on the TV or turn on our mobile device. In some ways, you can't go for a walk outside. You certainly can't walk down a magazine aisle in the grocery store or whatever without seeing messages about sex. And many of those messages, certainly not all of them, but many of those messages are just openly dangerous, openly destructive, and really exploiting people many times. And so today we're going to talk about the source of who God is and how he created sex. And sex is meant to be a beautiful thing, not to something to be embarrassed to talk about or to understand, because expressed as God created it in the context of marriage, it's a beautiful thing. And certainly in scripture, uh, we, we see the idea of procreation to make babies and to have fun as it comes to the idea of sex and, and in recreation in a sense. But the primary message of Song of Songs is, is a, a fun and recreational element of sex within the marriage. And we're going to talk about four different qualities of God honoring sex. And so if you have your Bible... Turn with me to Song of Songs, which is scanned right in the middle, just to the right of Psalm, just to the left of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And we're going to be looking at a number of the verses in chapter 4 of Song of Songs. And the, the first one, that, the first idea of 
of, of, of a quality that goes into God-honoring sex is that it starts long before the bedroom. If you want to have a vibrant, healthy sex life as God really intends it, understand that this starts long before the bedroom, long before physical intimacy is initiated. Now, I'm just speaking generally here, and this may not be true for you or in your particular case, but generally speaking, I think women intuitively know this a little better than men, that men typically need a little more help understanding this idea or appreciating this idea, maybe I should put it that way, that generally men are ready to have sex now, anywhere, anytime, and in any posture. But usually the best sex starts long before the bedroom. And watch how Solomon rolls this out in chapter 4, how he understands this, how he appreciates this. And we're going to discover, I, I think this is their honeymoon night, and we'll discover why when we look in verse 12. But let me just go with that assumption right now. That's a guess, but I'm assuming this is their honeymoon night. And he says to her in verses 1 and 2, he says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, and not one of them is alone. And so he honors her, and he begins by looking deeply into her eyes. And then he moves down her body, and he says, your eyes are beautiful. And then he comments on her hair, and he says, your hair is like a, fl like a flock of goats. Now, when we read that, we're thinking that doesn't sound too complimentary, but understand that, that in that era, typically a Jewish woman, a Hebrew woman, uh, would always have her hair up. And now on their honeymoon night, for the first time, he's seeing her with his, her hair down, and he likes what he sees. And then he says, your, your, your teeth are white and clean. And so obviously she's been using the equivalent of press white strips or whatever. He's saying, this is a really, and think about it, this is a big accomplishment in the day before there was dental floss or visits to the dentist. And he's saying to her, you know, you have all your teeth, you're not gumming it, and I'm impressed. And he's paying attention to the details before there's any physical intimacy He's building emotional intimacy with her. And, you know, I talk with couples, and often they're quite open with me about their life. And then again, I just with, I'm with couples at times, and sometimes I just hear banter and conversations. And so you'll hear things like the wife saying, or, or the husband perhaps saying things like this, I'm especially attracted to my husband when, when he serves me, when he helps me get the kids ready, earlier in the day or we text each other and and the husband says just for no reason just earlier in the day you're my dream girl or she writes something like that to him and there's intimate conversations and remember last week we talked and we said um, that some people confuse this idea and they think it's just about physical expression that's what intimacy is but of course, intimacy is much more than that. Really, most simply defined is it's simple transparency, where you're open about yourself, and as there's growing trust with this person, you're sharing your life with them. 
You're sharing your dreams with them. You're sharing the things that you're vulnerable about, maybe that you're afraid of, the temptations you're facing. And then when, when, when you see each other, sometimes I hear people see this, when they when they're s- say this, they're serving God with their spiritual gifts, and that just makes their spouse deeply attracted to them because they see them operating as God intends. Did you know that improving your spiritual relationship with God, I contend that that can help in your sex life. When you pray with your spouse, it brings you closer to God and closer to each other. And when you are spiritually intimate, when you are spiritually transparent with one another, this makes it more natural to be emotionally intimate with one another, which then in turn makes it easier to be physically intimate with one another. And there's this very healthy circle that builds on one another and enhances the relationship. The byproduct of seeking God one of them can be a better sex life as husband and wife. Then there's the what I would call the NST, and that just stands for non-sexual touching. Especially, especially if your spouse, if one of their primary love ways that they like to be loved is through appropriate touch. And so non-sexual touching would be like holding hands or a hug or a touch on the cheeks, all of these kinds of things where sex is not the reason you're doing this. That touching, you're touching without an end goal in mind. God honoring sex in, its, in the position where it's the best and where it's getting the best opportunity for it to be the best is, is when it begins way before the bedroom. Now, let's just continue reading verses 3 and 4. He says this, your lips... So he's moving down her body. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. The temples, and he's talking about her cheeks as well, behind your veil are like the halves of a, t- of a po- pomegranate. And so he starts with her eyes, then he talks about her hair, he talks about her teeth, talks about her mouth, talks about her temples and her cheeks. They're nice and rosy. He's continuing down in verse 4 where it says, your neck, did I read this already? I can't remember. Your neck is like a tower of David built with elegance. On it hangs a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. When he says and compares her neck to like the tower of David, one of the ways to look at this is that there's a majesty about you. There's a dignity about you. When you go to old Jerusalem today, there's all these gates around the city, around the city wall. And the biggest tower is at the Jaffa Gate. And this is the Tower of David. And it's not the same one as when this was being written because Jerusalem's been sacked and raised to the ground different times. But there's a great Tower of David at the, at the Jaffa Gate. And he's saying, you carry yourself with a majesty and a dignity. So there's significance in that. Because still sadly right now, here in many different places, and especially perhaps back in this historical context, women were often mistreated, were treated inappropriately. And they were treated not with the high esteem that they deserved. And as a result, they might have had um, a less than appropriate healthy self-image. And Solomon is overriding all that. 
He's saying, Shulamite, you are filled with majesty. You are filled with dignity. You are filled with strength like the Tower of David. And so really, the best place for God-honoring sex to be all that God wants it to be is this understanding, you know, it starts way before the bedroom. Secondly, God-honoring sex is passion. And he talks about this in verse 5. He says, your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. And so he speaks about her breasts, and he's, the image here is that he will approach them gently and tenderly. And the idea is, is that approach matters for the man, but also for the women. And I would just, and, and again, I'm speaking generally here, and this may not be the case for you, but, but the encouragement here is make an approach. The, the man as well, and, and it goes both ways, right? The man wants you to want him, not to, not to sort of sometimes one or the other of the spouses might be tempted to just give in simply out of a sense of duty, and maybe that's not in your heart, but the best atmosphere is when we make an approach and we want to be approachable, and that can grow passion. You know, and I understand that life is complicated, I get it. And so sometimes, quite honestly, you just have to plan it as husband and wife. And if you don't do that, if you just allow it to become less and less of a priority, there will be problems in the marriage. We've talked about a few other things that cause problems. When this is a neglected, when the eros, that's the Greek word for this, when the eros component of the marriage relationship is neglected, just like the other areas, when they're neglected, there will be trouble. There'll be bumps. This causes problems. So maybe because of the complexity of life, you know, you just have to set a date. It's just locked down in your data, in your, in your uh, smartphone. And when people ask you to do something, you say, no, I'm solidly booked for Friday evening or whatever the case may be. And you need to get a babysitter maybe. Maybe you like to have dinner together, candlelight. I don't know what you want. Anything like that. I understand that you're busy. I get it. This, la just, this isn't always the way for me, but this last week I worked every day of the week and every night of the week except Thursday. And Debbie was gone that night for some stuff with her children. So I understand you. Sometimes it takes some planning. Verse 6, until the day breaks. So again, this idea of passionate lovemaking all night long. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. Passionate lovemaking all night long. And, and, this, and again, there's uh, fairly graphic sexual expressions there. Not inappropriate, just very plain ones. And this is true all through the book. There's many clear references to this. Through this. Did I say many? There's many of them. It's interesting because if you read the other ancient historical documents from that era, I don't know of any exceptions to this, but when you see them referencing sex, it's basically always within the context of procreation. And certainly within the Bible, references to procreation and sex, you'll find references to that. But interestingly, in the Song of Songs, Unlike the other literature of that day, there's no references to procreation. Sex is seen in the Song of Songs between a husband and wife in terms of fun 
and recreation. Interesting. This is God's perspective on the beautiful thing that he created. Very passionate. And again, as I say, I think probably every week now, he intends for it because he wants what's best for us within the context of a monogamous, heterosexual covenant relationship, which is just a fancy way of saying marriage between one man and one woman. So thirdly, God-honoring sex is built on absolute trust. And we keep talking about this every week because this is so key to a healthy relationship. Absolute trust. Listen to what he says to her in verse 7. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. There is no flaw in you. In the intimacy of marriage, spouses must respect one another's bodies. No shaming, no negative personal attacks. And if you've done that, you need to repent of that and ask for forgiveness. Because as, pe- as particularly as people age, gravity just takes over and it affects the twin fawns and there's loss of hair and things don't work as well as they used to. And we all have insecurities. And he's saying we never do anything to disrespect or dishonor our spouse's body. Because in marriage, you're sharing everything with one another. It's, you're never more vulnerable with another human being. And so Solomon says we, we want to build this context of trust. And trust is earned. And we all have different needs, whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical. It says, in, it says to the spouses, if we were to read in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, um, um, we belong to one another. Our bodies belong. I, as a husband, my body belongs to Debbie, and Debbie's body belongs to me. And it says that, and it says in 1 Corinthians 7 that that's the only legitimate um, God-honoring way of expressing the sexual side of a person, and do not withhold that. And he says, do not withhold that except by mutual consent for a period of time so that you can pray. So be available to one another. This is the constant message of Bible. Lay down yourself for one another. And sometimes even when you don't feel like it, you give your body uh, to your spouse as a way of honoring them. And it's interesting when you do that, that then the desire for it seems to be generated even more. And so he's saying here, as we've been saying all along, there's no self-centeredness as part of this equation. This is an other-centered approach, which makes it better for both. Number four is God-honoring sex, and I think this is by far the most important one that we don't talk about nearly as much. God-honoring sex is holy. We don't hear that too often. God-honoring sex is holy. Holy simply means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means to be pure in a way that other things are not pure. Verses 12 and 13, and they're speaking, and here's why I think they're speaking about their honeymoon night. He says to her, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. Now, sister, they're not brother and sister. It was just a way they would express uh, relationships sort of back then. So, This is the first time in this verse of six times in the book that he calls her his bride. 
So I'm, this is a guess, but I'm guessing this is their honeymoon night. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna, and with nard. And so as he talks about her being a sealed fountain, I'm assuming he's talking about her virginity. You have saved yourself for me. God-honoring sex is holy between a husband and a wife. And a couple of weeks ago, we went through a number of reasons why God says this. He doesn't just say this stuff. There's very, very good reasons for why he says what he says. And we talked about why God said, wait for marriage. And I'm not going to go through all those again. You could go back and listen to them. But let me say this. It doesn't matter where we are on the calendar. It doesn't matter what year it is. God's truth stands forever. It never changes. And when you get married, we have this false idea that we're entering into some kind of a contract. No, as biblical believers, the Bible says we're entering into a covenant before God. A binding spiritual covenant between you and your spouse and God. Thus the wording, till death do us part. Not until I'm not happy anymore, or I see something better, or this is what I signed up for, till death do us part. And I understand sometimes you can't control what the other person does, despite your best efforts. I understand that. But anytime there's a covenant in Scripture, when a covenant is entered into, there's a shedding of blood. And in the Old Testament, I think I talked to you about this about a year ago, when they would have a covenant, they would take a bull and they would slaughter the bull and they would cut it in half into two separate parts and they would walk back and forth between the two parts seven times to just solidify this covenant in their mind. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I'm going to do a new covenant for you. And he does this by virtue of the fact that he who was without sin went to the cross and shed his blood for my sin and for your sin. And he established a covenant and he gave the opportunity for us to receive grace. And this is why he died. This is why he rose from the dead. The covenant destroys the power of sin and death. And whenever we take communion... And we take the elements which represent that sacrifice, his broken body and his shed blood. We're reminded of this. Oh, yeah, I'm reminded of what Jesus did in the past. And I'm reminded about how this has made a difference for me today and through eternity. His body was broken for everyone but for me. His blood was shed for everyone but for me. And when we receive God's grace, when we enter into relationship with him, we receive the benefits of that covenant. In God's world, here's what happens. It says this in Genesis 2. Jesus quotes it a couple times in Matthew. In God's world, here's what happens. A man will leave his father and mother, the Bible says, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so lovemaking between a husband and wife is an outward sign of the inward spiritual covenant 
that you have entered into with your spouse and God. That when you are joined with your spouse physically, you are no longer two, but one. And in God's intended world, the virgin man and the virgin woman have sex, and because of her virginity, there's some blood. A covenant is established before God where you are no longer two, but you are one. And this is why sex is not, in the biblical understanding, is not just for great sex. It's not just for fun. It's not just for recreation. It's not just for procreation, but it is a holy thing, a holy thing between husband and wife. And every time a husband and wife share that gift of lovemaking, what they are doing, not unlike communion, they are renewing and remembering their covenant vows. You belong to me, and I belong to you. And we are one flesh in the eyes of God. Fun, passionate, recreation, procreation, but also intensely spiritual. Now here's a big problem. In the church, <laughs> for whatever reason, we sometimes have communicated and been guilty of taking God's very good, very beautiful gift. And we'll say things like, don't touch that. No, 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 no. This is not the biblical message. No, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, yes, 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 yes. Very confusing. The actual biblical message is God says, wait, wait wait, wait, because there is something on the other side that is holy, that is righteous, that is pure, that is beautiful. Yeah, there's lots of other people doing it lots of other different ways, but as biblical believers, we are called to be different. And God calls us to be holy. God calls us to be set apart. And then we wait for something better. It's not that we are better. It's rather that God says, I have something better that I want to give you. And so this couple honored each other. They cherished, they pursued, they respected each other. They have waited. And then it says in verse 16, awake north wind, come south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread abroad. May let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. And again, very clear sexual imagery. So let me just say, as I've been saying all through this series, but it bears saying again, there are going to be some of us here that are feeling guilty right now and regret. And if you were honest, you would just say, I willingly gave my virginity away before marriage. And then there are some here that have had it forcibly taken from them. And you were abused by a monster had no choice and for that I'm deeply sorry but maybe you're here and you're just saying uh, Scott I don't feel so holy right now let me just very very gently remind you who makes us holy certainly not me and certainly not you never only God makes us holy and the only way he makes us holy is based on the covenant relationship Jesus established for you on the cross. Where he sacrificed for you and for me. And his blood was shed 
And he did that so we could be forgiven. The Bible says we can be cleansed, that we are God's chosen child, that in the book of Romans it says because of Christ, when you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so it's, it's irrelevant how, matter, how things were for you or even are right now. The old is gone or the old can be gone and you can be made new in Christ. And so my question to you is this. Do you want to honor God in this area of your life? And so I'm going to invite everybody here to bow their head and close their eyes. And I can see everybody. So, And this is, a, this is um, an important moment between people and God. It's a personal, private moment. So don't put your head up and don't open your eyes. But what I'd like to do is in a moment, I'm going to invite you. I won't embarrass you, but I'm going to invite you to put your hand up because I'd like to pray for you. And then I'm just going to invite God to do a healing work in your life right now because you're saying to me, well, Scott, I really want to honor God when it comes to sexual purity, to sexual issues and temptation. And I want to turn from that, whatever those issues are, I want to confess that, and I want Jesus to cleanse me, and I want to go on a new path. And if that's your heart desire, I would be honored to pray for you today. So why don't you, again, I'm not going to embarrass you, but just raise your hand if you would like to pray, me to pray for you. So a number of people have their hands up. And you can put your hands down. God sees that. So let's, let's, let's pray together. Kind Father, how grateful I am for the coming of Christ. That because of Jesus, you will touch, if we are willing to let you, every part of our life. And our sexuality is just one part of our life, one that you care about. And so we just want to, Father, for those that are here that have raised their hand or they've got something going on, we want to we make that choice to honor you in every area of our life. And we believe, Christ, that you can redeem, that you can bring purity when we have been or we are impure. And so for those that are here, I'm just going to pray that, that they would join their voice with me in that sense of saying, I, I feel convicted and where I have strayed, where I have sinned, I confess that and I ask for your cleansing. I ask for your forgiveness. And I pray for your healing work in their life, Lord Jesus. Release it now based on your work on the cross. And I pray for those that are here, Lord, as well, whose marriages are struggling, who are butting heads for whatever reason. I pray that they would make the commitment. And I understand this is a first an individual one. You can't force the other one. But I'd love it if both members of the, of the relationship would say, we are going to commit with God's help to go on a new path. That we are going to pursue you together, Lord Jesus that we are going to invite spiritual and emotional and physical intimacy, that we will live in this idea, this holy idea of two becoming one, that we will forgive, that we will repent where we need to. And then I want to pray as well and make another offer to those that are here and you're saying, you know, Scott, I've... Uh, this grace stuff you're talking about, this relationship with Jesus, 
that's just something that hasn't been a reality in my life. And I've never asked for Jesus to forgive me or to cleanse me. I've never surrendered my life to him. I've never asked him to be first in my life and take control of my life. I've never begun a relationship with him. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to lift your hand indicating you want to do that. And again, I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. But what I will ask you to do is I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray along with me. And you can pray out loud if you'd like, or you can pray silently. But by lifting your hand, you're indicating that you are admitting that you have done sinful things. But secondly, you're, um, that it's impossible for you to deal with those sinful things. You're asking for forgiveness based on what Jesus has done for you alone. And that you're surrendering your life to him to be the, the one in charge of your life. The Lord of your life. And then after we're done praying, after the service, one last thing. I will ask you to go and tell someone what you've done. There'll be some people up here at the front. You can tell them. They'll pray with you or the people you came with or one of the staff that you've seen up here on the platform. And uh, I, those are the two things. And so if you've never received Jesus and you'd like to receive Jesus and begin a relationship with him now, I just want you to raise your hand cause every, and everybody's heads down. Raise your hand, and I'm going to pray with you here in a moment. Raise your hand so I can see you. Okay. I, I don't think I see anybody, but that's okay. That's okay. We make that offer to as those in the first service that did. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come and join me on the platform here. And uh, we're going to sing a song, and then I will conclude our time. stand with us please you give love 